are listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider, Brandon Jaggers, and me, C.C. Broadus. The Auxiliary Gate, big problem. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 108 of the Auxiliary Gate Podcast. I'm CC Broadus, joined by Alan Schneider. Alan, we're a Brandon Jagger short again tonight. Um, what's he up to? I don't even know. What's he up to tonight? He's always something, ain't um, it? I don't know. He's It's Brandon. He's probably installing a, a wet bar to his pool or something like that. I thought maybe the, the inflation stuff's getting to maybe he's working. Is he working two or three jobs now? Is it, does he need money? You think he needs money? Yeah, probably. I think he uh, he he's trying to make seven figures and says six this week. <laughs> Are you hearing this, Jaggers? I hope so. <laughs> well, big weekend for all of our friends. I want to name them off here. I'll try my best to remember who all who all did what. We know Michelle Lovell won the first race on Saturday with cousin Larry at fifteen to one. That was a surprise, a a, a pleasant surprise. Uh, Declan Cannon got his first win after a uh, after his injury uh, since his comeback. He, he won a race over the weekend. Our friends Lee and Bob Butler own part of Love Me Some Me, who was a resounding winner. She thumped that group on Sunday, went 21-44, and drew away from the competition. And that filly has stakes uh, Company in her future, I would think. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah. uh, Billy Denzik is part of that uh, that ownership group, and uh, all of these people are are past pod guests. Uh, brilliant Tom Drury. Tom, Tom Drury. Drury. That's right. Forgot about Tom. Tom won two races over the weekend, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Brilliant Racing won the opener on Monday with Busy Echo. Won a big pot, like a sixty-six thousand dollar pot, or the winner's share of that pot, anyway. Cha-ching. Yeah, eight to one with Tyler Gaffleon. That was uh, that was hard to believe as well. It was just, you know they they overlooked their friends, but they uh, they all showed up when it when it mattered. So it was a it was a good weekend for a, for a lot of people. Yeah, well, isn't that fun to see? I mean, I, I don't mean to sound you know too cheerleadery, but that is that is so much fun to see. And uh, I know Declan has uh, got got that win, and. He destroyed that field. Declan destroyed that field. Michelle got overlaid. I always blind bet Michelle. Uh, it's just the way it is. I always will. Sorry. Uh, the ROI will tell you that it's a smart move. So I was happy. Uh, and then, yeah, Love Me Some Me looks amazing. Busy Echo with a big win. It's hard not to be happy for people, right? This sport is fun when everybody's happy and when everybody's happy and in a good mood and stuff and uh, seeing their hard work and their time to get paid off, it makes everything worth it. It's the way it is in every aspect of life. A uh, big race yesterday, Santa Anita, uh, the uh, Hollywood Gold Cup was won by There Goes Harvard. That horse has some uh, Ellis Park roots. He won a an allowance race two years ago on the turf for Mike McCarthy. Then, you know, lo and behold, two years later, he's a grade one winner. Yeah, so. it was a bad field at Ellis. He won that day. I remember the race. I was in Florida watching it at a bookstore. I remember that race because really, I always know the horse There Goes Harvard. I think that's what I'm thinking of. He beat a bad Ellis turf field, and he's a grade one winner now. Phew. That's, yeah. <laughs> But another former podcast guest in Mike McCarthy. So, yeah. So looking ahead, though, Churchill Downs has a big day of stakes racing. And uh, you're not going to hear it here first, but this is going to be a, a, a summer of a lot of short fields, I'm afraid. Looking at the uh, overnight for Saturday, the regret stakes, $200,000, draws a field of six. The Shawnee draws a field of six. The Arlington Stakes, 200000 again, draws a field of six. Uh, the last three races are okay. The Aristides draws eight. The Blame Stakes draws eight. And then the Audubon draws 11. So, you know, the late pick three looks juicy if, if these races hold together. But uh, something this industry just cannot grasp is working together to schedule these stakes races. Uh, you're going to see later... This summer, the the Iowa Derby, the Matt Wynn Stakes, the Ohio Derby, and the Indiana Derby, 
are all going to be run like, you know, three or three weeks apart from each other, for, you know, and then races like the Iowa Oaks, the Indiana Oaks, the Delaware Oaks, all late June, early July. It's, you know, and, and we're going to, we're going to see races that have five, six horses and they're, they're all running for big pots, which is a good thing for the owners, but it's not good for, you know, and, and, and one of these races is going to be, you know, probably have allowance horses in them and yeah. it's not going to be good racing, but you know, that's, that's something we're going to see. The, the these racetracks refuse to cooperate with, with each other. If they did, this racing would be a whole lot better this summer, but you know, that's, uh, you're going to see this coming soon, but yeah, like I said, I'm I still looking you, forward. Yeah. I'm still looking forward to this Saturday and I hope you're, and I hope you're wrong, but I know you're right about all that. I mean, I've made my, I've made my points abundantly clear how I feel about short fields. Uh, it's not good for the better, but I also in, uh, talking to the trainers and some jockeys, it's not good for the trainers and the jockeys either, right? Because there are big pots, but there's fewer opportunities for jockeys, really good jockeys to get mounts, right? Around here. There's fewer opportunities for trainers to get their horses in, right? And, uh, the shorter fields, they hurt everybody. I think sometimes gamblers just talk, look at it from their own prison, their own bubble. I know that's a shock. Uh, but it, it, it's, it's not good for everybody and stuff. So I hope, I hope we do see some better stuff, but you're right. Uh, those, those stakes fields, they get crowded that time of year. The there's a desire for entries to fill them all. So we'll see. Anything else you want to touch on before we go to our uh, special guest? Well, she's so much fun that I'm, we all probably go straight to her, but I can't think of anything. Shall we? All right. Well, yeah, let's, uh, let's meet her right now. All right. Our guest this evening is the current head of marketing at brisnet.com, one of our favorite places for horse racing data information. Of course, brisnet is now under the Churchill Downs umbrella and our guest has worked her way up to, up the ladder. Uh, prior to that, she's a graduate of the University of Kentucky and unlike me, she's done something with her life. <laughs> and after today, she can now say that she's been loaded into the auxiliary gate. We wish a hearty welcome to Nasrana Dixon, or as we like to call her, Nas. <laughs> How are you doing, Nas? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Glad you're here. We haven't I'm... known each other very long. I think we met maybe probably a month ago at uh, at uh, Mike Lennox. For the, uh, the the Kentucky Derby seminar that the the, the Brisnet guys, Twinspires.com guys put on, so it was uh, we work fast here. So thirty days later, you're you're a part of uh, our our podcast. So we're, we're we're grateful you joined us. I'm glad to be here. This is actually my first podcast appearance. Oh my goodness! <laughs> There's only seven thousand of them out there. How could you not get on one so far? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Don't judge the rest of them by how poorly we perform. Just very uh, true. <laughs> all oh, right. <laughs> so Nas, uh, you went to the University of Kentucky. Are you from uh, Are you from Lexington, or where, where are you from originally? I'm originally from Bangladesh, but I moved to Lexington when I was quite young, when I was about four or five, and I've basically been in Lexington ever since. I have never lived anywhere else. <laughs> so uh, I'm a uh, graduate. University of Kentucky. I'm I'm older. I'm, I graduated in the 90s. Uh, back in my day, the dorms did not have air conditioning. They only had a uh, I think I had a furnace that kept us warm in the winter. But in in the summer and the spring, uh, the uh, late early fall, it was uh, the rooms were quite toasty in the uh, high 90s. Did you ever live on campus or did you just uh, drive to and from? No, I, I did drive. I, I was a commuter, but I, I do, I, you know, I'm, I'm not so young that I don't remember those times when the dorms on campus did not have air conditioning. Well, <laughs> it was the pits. We, I, we lived on North Campus. Now you go to North Campus. Now it's like living on Park Avenue. I mean, they've got everything there. Back in my days, they had, you know, the elevator didn't work half the time and, and you know, people were always setting off fire alarms. I mean, it was just, it was a, a great experience. And we had, of course, we had to share one bathroom with, you know, 15 other men. Golly, no wonder I turned out the way I did. <laughs> but enough about me. Let's talk about you. Now, at what point did you, uh, did you join, uh, Brisnet or Churchill or, or, or one or the other? Well, I started working, um, at Twin Spires in 2013. 
Um, I was kind of uh, a kind of a, an old college student. I had dropped out previously from UK, and so I wanted to return to school and finish my degree. And I needed a job where I could work at night. And so uh, at the call center, you can work. I had like a graveyard shift. It was like 3.30 to midnight. <laughs> and uh, I was able to work. And then in the morning, I'd get up and I'd go to class. And that's how I, you know, finished my degree. And uh, I didn't think I was going to work there for that long. It was kind of just a temporary thing. I was like a seasonal employee, like right before Derby in 2013. Um, but they kept me on and I just they, they gave me some promotions and I kind of worked my way up the ladder. I became a supervisor there and um, and now I'm in the marketing at Brisnet. So explain what you do now. So I basically am I handle all aspects of marketing for Brisnet.com. I'm the only marketing employee, so I handle the social media, I handle the email marketing. Um, I even coordinate the handicapping products, you know, uh, the packages um, for, you know, special race days, um, even the website, the, the graphics on the website, the banners. I change those out. Uh, basically, everything that you could think of to do with marketing for Brisna, I handle. So I guess we should start at the very beginning. One of the, probably the second product I ever used was Brisnet after, you know, after years and years of using daily racing form, when the internet kind of, kind of came around late nineties, that's when I discovered Brisnet. Exactly. Yeah. And that was probably the second product I ever used because it was, uh, uh, they had past performances that were similar to daily racing form. So the transition wasn't that hard. And uh, it seems like, I, I don't know when the pedigree stats came around, but that, you know, Brisnet's really, really vital for maiden races, turf races, stuff stuff like that, because the pedigree stats kind of show you, you know, which runners, the the mothers, what the mothers produced uh, for, you know, maiden winners and and, and uh, turf winners and whatnot. So, it, you know, it's pretty vital to, to my handicapping of it. Nas, why don't you uh, – I know Brisnet has a really uh, – really long history. Once you start at the very beginning, where did Brisnet uh, come from? So Brisnet actually started in Louisville, Kentucky uh, with the founder of Brisnet. His name was Dick Broadbent. And he was, um, he was actually very frustrated when he had to, he had to get together all of the pedigree reports for the horses that he wanted to buy and sell. He was trying to basically flip horses and make some money. Uh, he had partnered up with Norm Cassie, um, not the, not the current trainer, Norm Cassie, but the father of Mark Cassie, Norm Cassie. And the two of them used to drive around and buy horses and, um, kind of flip them for a profit. So in order to kind of figure out which horses they wanted to buy, they had to do quite a bit of research um, and it involved like a library and lots of it's very time intensive. And so out of that frustration, he created a product called American Produce Record, where he would go to um, the offices of KFC in the late 60s and they let him John Y. Brown let him use the computer there, which was like a big computer, like it took up like a whole building. And at night, he would kind of put in all the information and he assembled these books and uh, it kind of took off. People really started buying them. And he went on a tour all across the country selling these books. And from proceeds of the books, uh, he bought his own mainframe computer and started his own database, moved to Lexington and started Brisnet. And so it was founded in 1971. And uh, so we're celebrating our 51st year this year. <laughs> I had no idea it'd been around that long. I had no idea. That's yeah. Incredible. Yeah, I, I think I started learning about this stuff, right, like late 90s. I, th I know I bought a book from Joseph Beth Bookseller. It was the track stats for a particular track. I can't remember which one it was. But it was that's kind of prior to, like, the daily racing form was printing stats related to trainers and and, you know, first off layoff, first on Lasix, uh, second off layoff, stuff like that. Brisnet was ahead of the curve on that. And they sold those stat books at uh, Joseph Beth, and I know I got one of those. So, that, that yeah, you guys are way, way ahead of your time, for sure. Um, 
I, I, the track stats, they're, they're no longer, they, you don't print those anymore, right? You just get them online or get them with the track. Yeah, we don't actually, we used to have those track stat books. We actually even sell, sold them separately, but we actually don't have that product anymore. Uh, but I've had some people ask me about that, and I've kind of been trying to look into figuring out what how we can get that get that product back up and going, what the barriers are to producing that product, because I, I really don't know. But I'm, I'm just beginning, I kind of, that was my project after Derby, to kind of like look into whether or not we could make the track stats happen again. So I'm trying to go through a little bit of a renaissance in my handicapping skills, which have uh, become uh, quite mildewy as of late. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like the two, I'll readily admit the two products that I use are Thurgraph, which I adore, and, of course, Brisnet. Now, Brisnet is a whole lot more affordable. I don't use Thurgraph every day. I just use it on special occasions or or maybe one race at a time or something like that. I think, you know, it, it costs $5 just for one race or third race. So I don't, I can't, I can't afford to do that every, every single weekend. But, uh, Brisnet, I've, I've been using it for years, for years and years and years. And I've just now started to hone in on like the, the my favorite Brisnet product is the Ultimate Pass Performances, which, like I said, I've been using for years, but there's a lot of, facets to that I haven't been paying attention to and you know I've been telling Alan about this and we've been going back and forth on this stuff like like I know the prime power ratings have always been there but now I'm trying to figure out how to how to you how to and when to use them uh and then that special page at the end of every race that kind of lists all the stats and the and like the, the bias stats and uh you know stuff like that that I'm trying to incorporate that into my handicapping now. And Nas, is there any like? Do you have any literature that can that can help me uh, help me uh, you know understand further how to use these correctly? These uh, yeah. these performances. I yeah, I have just the thing for you. So if you go on Brisnet's website and the homepage, there on the very top right hand corner, it says more. If you hover over that more. There's um, a link there that's how to read PPs. So if you click on that, that'll give you a very detailed explanation of what every section in the past performances means. Have you ever looked at that before? I have. I've gone. Yeah, I haven't gone through every one of those, but I have recently. And it's very helpful. Very helpful. So, yeah, that's uh, and I've referred to that several times, you know, when I'm, when I'm handicapping and whatnot. So, I mean, it, it, there's a there's it, a ton of information. It, it's almost too much information. So I'm trying to hone down on what's important, what should be important to me and whatnot. So it's, uh, I mean, it's fascinating because I, I love the, the process of coming up with a winner. I don't do it but once a week. He's <laughs> so modest. The way my account uh, is telling me. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, – but it's uh, there's like I said, there's tons of information. Now the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is the uh, the, the data files, which mm-hmm. I tried to dabble in that, and that's that is way beyond me. That the data file is probably more for database people, right, or, or people that are, you know, what I'm saying. Uh, like that's that's some that's some stuff that's going to take a that's a big learning curve as opposed to, you know, maybe the ultimate past performances. It would, Weigh in on the the data files, the multi caps, and and that kind of stuff. So the Always software is kind of the like the gold standard of of all the handicapping softwares that we have um, files. It actually learns. So if you build up your database of files, like let's say you have all the files from um, you know like all the Churchill meets, and you put in the results, it actually learns um, based on what the results are. And it's pretty easy to once you kind of it's kind of tricky to figure out, like when you download the software and where to put the how to upload the files. But once you do that, it's pretty intuitive. And a lot of people like that. Um, the Nurax and the Multicap sort of work the same way. I don't know that the Multicap is learning as much as the, the always does. The Nurax Pro certainly um, is more learning than just the basic Nurax. Um, the PP data files a lot of people use to plug into their own database. Um, it just depends on what your preference is. 
So, well, I guess my problem is, I mean, that's something I don't, I wouldn't do every day. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if this, would that software necessarily benefit me if I, if I just did it once a week, if I downloaded something once a week, or is that something for, for guys that play every single day? Yeah, it's more for people who are building up a database and playing every day and, uh, you know, uh, doing that sort of thing. Uh, maybe not just for, you know, casual once in do, a while. Do those guys, they'll, they'll download several tracks per day? Or yes. They, I got you. Mm-hmm. So, I, okay. That makes sense. Or they'll yeah. do a whole meet, like we have always meet plans. So they'll get all of the files for the entire church home meet, which is the files and the results files. And, uh, you know, if you're just following one circuit. So, yeah, there's there's hardcore players and then there's me that I, I like to think I'm a hardcore player, but then, then my results say otherwise. <laughs> so for now, I'm going to master the ultimate pass performances because I think, to me, that's your best product you have going. But I don't know. That's just me. Are there any other products that you'd recommend that we use? Um, if you're doing your own handicapping, I think ultimate pass performances are definitely the way to go. Um, we have quite a lot of products that give you picks and analysis if you're looking for that sort of thing. Um, one of the big hits is the Chalkbuster pick of the day, and Chalkbuster is always hitting something, you know, and it's, uh, if that's something you're interested in, I would recommend that. Um, our daily selections are always very good. Um, we also have something called the Kentucky Handicapper Sheet um, that has picks and analysis. Uh, those are more t- the types of products I lean towards just because I don't have as much in-depth knowledge of, of ha- you know, handicapping things myself. I more look at those picks and selections and kind of compare and see, you know, if those are kind of in line with what I'm thinking for the day. I'm looking for something more along the lines of like a Brandon Jagger selection of the day <laughs> or like a, she like doesn't a know Do you, you <laughs> Did you meet Brandon at the uh, at the Derby seminar by any chance? I don't. Think I don't so. think so. I don't think he was there, was he? No, you'd know him if you met him. Oh, that joke fell flat. I thought <laughs> it was funny. Yeah. Anyway, that's for our viewers or listeners. Excuse me, not viewers, listeners at home. But uh, so, I, I guess my next question is: I mean, what are you tasks tasked to do? Like, who do you market to? Do you are you marketing to? Like newbies, are you marketing people like me? Are you marketing mainly to the whales, the people that bet a lot of money? What, where do you spend most of your time? I think I try ideally all of the above, but mostly I try to tailor towards people like you who are only, who are on a budget and only playing, you know, maybe once a week. Like you said, sometimes you splurge on the more expensive products, but most of the time you're going for things that are more affordable and cost effective. Um, especially with, you know, when you bet on Twin Spires, you can get the free pass performances. So that's, I really lean into that because I really think that that's a really good value for people to be able to get their pass performances for free. And all you have to do is just put in a, you know, just a single bet and that's it. Are there any products on the horizon maybe we should be looking forward that I know you, you guys are into product development as well? I don't have anything in development right now per se. Um, that's brand new. I'm, I'm kind of more trying to look into reviving some of our old products that people still kind of ask me about. Like you had mentioned earlier, the track stats. People still ask about those. People sometimes ask about sire stats. And those are things that I'm, I'm kind of looking into trying to bring back and seeing, you know, if there's interest in those types of things. Um, I'm also looking into, um, trying to market our American produce records. Um, and kind of modernize that a bit. Um, so we're working on getting all that um, kind of updated on our side. Cool beans. I'm going to turn it over to Alan now. Yeah, uh, I'll be honest with you. Now, Brisnet is all I use. I mean, maybe I should use more, but I got hooked on it about, I'd say, 15 years ago. For a variety of reasons, I used to be a DRF guy. No offense to DRF people. But uh, one click, it's free. It's at my fingertips. And as CC said a moment ago, it's it's reminiscent of DRF, but it's kind of expanded, and I can't live without it now. I use that, and I'm going to use a touch of pedigree query, but for the most part, I'm I'm all bris. I love the product. I'm not sucking up to you because you're on the program. That's you're on the, <laughs> one of the reasons you're on the program is because you, you you market the product that I that I that we both like a lot, and the fact that you're very infectious and bubbly. If you've ever met Naz in real life, you'll see what we're talking about. Uh, very fresh, 
very fresh change of pace. A lot of people that you see online, but uh, yeah, Brisnet is my product of choice. And so I'm wondering, as you readily acknowledge, you're, you're fairly newer to the game. Uh, maybe so some of the people that you uh, uh, send your products to, what are some of the bread and butter features uh, that Brisnet offers that you use on a daily basis? Or anything, anything that sticks out to you when you're reading a PP on Brisnet? Yeah, honestly, I don't know how people do it without Brisnet, but that last page that you were talking about earlier yes. or the CC was talking about, I look at that all the time. I honestly, when I go through the PPs, I just skip to that last page at the end of the every race and look through there and, you know, kind of try to look for, you know, the bias and the angles, the race summary. Um, I'll look through and see like the run styles and, um, I'll look through and see, you know, all of the, the horses ranked, you know, last, the best speed, best class. Um, those are all things that I'm looking at when I handicap. So that's a good, that's a good, uh, quick use tool for you. And on that same page, I know it, something that I actually will p- pay attention to if I don't know it already is they'll, they'll, uh, market, um, they'll tell you at this class level, at this distance, uh, at this allowance level, this claiming level, uh, what percentage of favorites have won at uh, this distance, at what percentage they've come into money. And you can find a little, um, you can find some chaos, races that are open to chaos or races that are fairly formful by using that. It's actually really broke down very well. I know CC and I have talked about that here recently, but I, I do feel like we've kind of glossed over a little bit the fact that you said you're from Bangladesh. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, I thought you said that earlier. Uh, you said you came here when you were four. I want to, we'll get back to Bris, but I've never known anybody from Bangladesh. So we have to touch on wait, that real quick. Wait a minute. Is Bangladesh in Washington County? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. That's in Knott County. Knott <laughs> County. Oh, no. okay. You know what I know about Bangladesh? There's Tigers, and I know Cheat Trick or is it the Beatles played that big concert. No, the concert for Bangladesh. That's all I know yeah. about Bangladesh. That's right. Yeah. George Harrison. George Harrison, right? That's yeah. right. So, uh, if you're from Bangladesh, what are you considered a Bangladeshian? What, what, how's that work? Uh, yeah, Bangladeshi or uh, Bengali is the language. Some people say Bengali. Oh, really? Can you speak? Can you? I know you said you've been here for a long time. Can you speak that just by, by chance? I can. It's a little rusty, but uh, you know, if I, I need to practice. But yeah, I can definitely speak and understand it. That is impressive. I can say I've never known anybody to speak that. You can go ahead and uh, throw out some right now. We wouldn't know if you're right or wrong, to be honest with you. Uh, oh, geez. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 I mean, I, I can't even tell you right now. My, my, my mind is blank. <laughs> you know, I have, uh, I've always been a fan on, on the getting back to the Brisbane. I've always been a fan of the early and late pace figures that they offer on a race by race basis, right? And then the past performances. I find it to be kind of vital. I find it to be accurate when I'm handicapping. It's one of the more important things that I use. So I was wondering, can you recite to me verbatim the complex algorithm used to determine those? No, that is proprietary information. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I just said you could come up with right there. <laughs> no, but in all, in all seriousness, I actually do like that's one of my main things that I go by. That I that I take a quick snapshot trying to when you're trying to judge pace. Uh, early pace and late pace, and uh, I don't know if you use them a lot, or is that something that uh, you know your customers are something they zero in on, or do you know? Yeah, a lot of people do. Uh, like uh, I, I see a lot of chatter online. Honestly, I don't. I don't. I wish I had like more people to talk to about past performances. But honestly, it, I spend a lot of time on Twitter just looking at like just chatter of, of people talking about different things, especially, you know, like Brisnet's involved. And I mm-hmm. do see a lot of discussion of, you know, pace and run style and, you know, that kind of thing. Well, it's OK, since now you've been in the because when you first said you came in, you probably had no knowledge of the game whatsoever. When you first started it to inspire slash Brisnet, did, were you a, a familiar with horse racing at all? No, not at all. I mean, I like anybody in Lexington, I'd go to Keeneland from time to time, but I really didn't know too much. <laughs> Just to party and have fun and stuff and hang with your friends? Yeah, once in a while, put some bats in, you know. So do you think like over the course of your your tenure there, you feel like you've grown quite a bit? You feel like you're fairly seasoned now? or? 
I mean, I know ne- I never feel I don't I wouldn't say like I'm seasoned, but I do feel like I have more knowledge now than I did in the beginning for sure, which is was no knowledge at all. I remember my like my interview where I, I they asked me, you know, like what are what what experience do you have with horse racing? And I was like, uh, ma'am, absolutely none. I am so sorry. <laughs> and they were like, that's okay. <laughs> Did you say that in English or did you say it in, ben- in Bengali? Which I said it in English. Okay. <laughs> you might have thrown them there. Uh, so now that you've, you've been around a little bit in the game, uh, do you visit different locales? Or do you have a favorite racetrack? Have you been to racetracks outside of Kentucky? Or Yeah, I've um, – so obviously – I mean, my home track, Keeneland, is always going to be my favorite, I'd say. I, I love Churchill, though. Um, I on- hadn't been – to any racetrack outside of Keeneland and Churchill until last year when I visited Arlington. Um, oh. This year I visited Fairgrounds and I'm hoping to visit um, Saratoga this summer. So uh, I, I haven't been to too many tracks, but I'd like to start going to different ones. And since now, have you been able to make a lot of friends in this new gig? Does this opened you up to a lot of uh, new horizons, new uh, people to meet and a lot of good people? Yeah, definitely. Especially um, now when I go to Keeneland, I see a lot of familiar faces. I try to go every day during the Keeneland meet when I can, and and uh, I see all sorts of people there now. <laughs> I walk around like I own the place now. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No. Hey, well, suffice to say, it sounds to me like you, you love your job, and that's important for any human being to have. I wish I kind of loved mine more, but is that fair to say? I definitely love it. I feel so fortunate. I on, I really feel kind of guilty that I get to have such a fun job because there's probably lots of people who want to work in the industry, want to break into the industry, and I just kind of fell in my lap. And I, I feel a little bit guilty about it, but it's definitely just – it's wonderful. <laughs> Are you out of your Bangladeshi mind? You should not feel guilty whatsoever. You got the job, and you're good at it, right? <laughs> I hope so. I my boss likes me, so your boss likes you. You got invited on this this podcast with an audience of is it t- tens of millions? I mean, fair to say, right? So I mean, you're obviously doing something, right? Sure. Yeah. I de- yeah. Did that tens of millions just fly right over your head, right there? <laughs> no, I'm sure you have lots of listeners. Yeah, we certainly do. But uh, no, uh, like I said, we met uh, Nas at Mike Lennig's that night, and she was just so nice, so bubbly. It's like she's going to be perfect. Maybe she'll get her own podcast, right? A Brisnet podcast, perhaps, something like that. You ever thought of that? Oh, Lord, I mean, I, I I wouldn't even know where to start with that. I I, <laughs> I, I don't think I'm interesting enough to have a podcast. You, you did this one, right? <laughs> I'll run out of material fast. <laughs> I don't know about that. Cece, anything else for Nas? What's your favorite handicapping angle now that you've been in the business for a little bit? Favorite jockey? Yeah. Is there is there a, like an angle or a stat that you like to use? Analyst? My favorite angle is probably... I think it's going to be last out speed rating, like best last out speed rating. Fair enough. Yeah, I can see yeah. it. And my favorite jockey is Florent Giroux. Oh, that's a good one. My favorite active jockey is Florent Giroux. My favorite, like, all-time jockey is Pat Day. He's one of our first guests. He's a great guy. Great guy. Hey, Nas, tell us your Pat Day story. I forgot about my that. Pa- oh, my Pat Day story. Oh, uh, when I was working in the call center, I um, at the time, I one of the things they had us doing was selling tickets for Churchill. Like this was before Ticketmaster was involved, and uh, I had a phone call from a gentleman who wanted to reserve a seat at the Turf Club, and he had a lot of questions. He was a new member; he had never been there before. I guess he had never reserved a seat there before, and that's so why I asked him what his name was, and he said Pat Day, and I said, Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I that's very exciting. It's it's very exciting to talk to you. It was very embarrassing actually. But I, I was I was I was happy to answer his questions. I had no business answering his questions, so I had never been to Turf Club before. But uh honestly, Pat Day is my favorite jockey because when I first went to Keeneland, like very first time I went to Keeneland as a kid, I remember I went with my mother. I was a guest of my mother's and a bunch of her coworkers. And it was the Phoenix room and we did show parlays. And I was so proud of myself. I had picked out the winner for a race and my angle was Pat Day. 
and and it was now looking back it was like definitely chalk i mean it probably would pay it out to two dollars and ten cents but i i was proud of myself and everybody i was with was very impressed with me so i i didn't tell him that story but i wish i had <laughs> they thought you were a genius that's all that matters right they thought you knew what you were talking about they really did <laughs> peck day is so cool whatever winner yeah yeah all right i'm gonna put her on the spot real quick before we let her go see you ask her those questions Who's your favorite? Who's your go-to analyst? Because I know you know a lot of them, so we'll put you on the spot here. Oh, well, I can't choose between Joe Christofek and Scott Shapiro. So I was trying to get you to. It's kind of a tie. Oh, I can't choose. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's why you're in the position you're in, because you know how to answer diplomatically and politically. That was brilliant. <laughs> that was why I'm no, I, I mean it, though. I, I think they're both fantastic. Yeah, good. I'm, I'm glad. I, that's that's the answer I thought you were gonna uh, get with. So uh, I'm impressed. I'm impressed how well you handled that. <laughs> Last question, Nas. Uh, Alan and I have been in the game so long. I think the list of things that we don't like about the sport is probably outweighs what we do like about it now. But flip flop it. When we were your age, it was a whole lot different story. We you know we couldn't get enough information and whatnot. What I was going to ask you what uh, with your uh, like I said, you haven't been in the game very long, but what's what is something that uh, you love about the sport, and something that you could improve on the sport? The way thing, the way you see it from from your point of view. Ooh, ooh, okay. One thing I love about the sport is how kind everyone is, and I know there's a lot of ugliness on Twitter, but like legitimately, some of the nicest people I've ever met in my life have been great, like racing people. Mm-hmm. Uh, both on Twitter and at the track, and everybody is always so kind and friendly. I uh, I love that about the sport. I love I love how everyone comes together. I love being in Lexington during the Keeneland meet when you know it's it's very like buzzy about town. Everybody goes to the track. Everybody goes out after after the races, and it's just a really fun time uh, here in Lexington during the the April and October meets. One thing I think that could be improved is I wish that it was easier to watch horse racing. Um, like as just, a, just someone who, I mean, I, we're very fortunate. We live in Kentucky and we can have a Twin Spires account and you can just watch live racing anytime you want. But what if you lived in a state, you know, like right. you live in Georgia or Texas, somewhere where you can't have a Twin Spires account? I mean, it's just really hard, like, um, to get people into racing, and like, it's just really hard. I wish the the legislation allowed more people to do ADW and and bet and um, watch the races because it's very like it's very controlled as far as the feeds of the you know watching the live horse racing. You know, sometimes you like I know you can't really show like if you're trying to do handicapping on, on Twitch, you can't really show the race, which is kind of like the main part. <laughs> Yeah. So I wish that was easier to kind of navigate. I wish that horse racing would kind of stop getting in its own way as far as that that kind of stuff. Oh, I agree 1,000 percent. Now that I'm going to get on my soapbox, you know, back in the late 80s, ESPN would always have, uh, you know, a race of the week. Uh, you know, remember Alan, Chris Lincoln? Yes, I certainly do. Bud Longshot. Dave, Dave Johnson would call a race. Yeah, they'd have a Bud Longshot. But it was every week. It wasn't just, you know, the New York tracks. They'd go, you know, they'd show the Super Derby one week at Louisiana Downs, and then, you know, the next week they'd, they'd be at Canterbury, and then you, you get to learn about all these racetracks. You know, now, like Nas says, you got to have an account in a state that allows that, and then you can pull up any, any race you want, but you still don't get the coverage. And, you know, the, uh, Fox Sports, I think, does the, uh, the, the Naira coverage, which they do a really good job, but you only get, you know, you only, you only get to see Belmont and, and they cover every race as opposed to, you know, a really, a really big race. So yeah, that's, uh, Nas hit that one right on the head. I think, uh, racing could do a little bit better to have some exposure, you know, for people like me that was, that was really back, you know, I was 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. I was really hungry for, for as much information as I could find. So yeah, good. That's a good one, Nas. Good answer. Okay. So, uh, Nas, it's been a pleasure. And, it really uh, has. Yeah, and we're we're very delighted that you uh, decided to spend your evening with us. 
hopefully we will see you soon at the racetrack or since you pretty much own Churchill Downs now. <laughs> uh, I would like for uh, maybe some access to the to the sixth floor or the fifth oh, floor or something like that. Whenever you can get they a don't let to, me up there. <laughs> you just said you the place. She only no, owns the trailer park it, version. It was Keeneland that I said I walked around like I owned the place. <laughs> but you don't actually own the place. I just walk yeah. around with some confidence. At Churchill, no, I've never been. I've never been to the sixth floor actually. <laughs> well, we gotta change that. We gotta change that. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Well, Nas, thank you for joining us. Uh, like I said, hopefully we'll uh, we'll we'll cross paths down the road and uh, everybody. Continue to use those Brisnet products if you haven't done it before. It's very, very simple, and you know the, the learning curve is not that steep. So, you know, I, I highly suggest uh, getting involved in the Brisnet world. I'm all over it. Thank you, Nas. Appreciate it. No problem. Take care. That was Nas Rana Dixon, and I'll tell you what: uh, for a newcomer to the sport, she kind of knows her thing. Yeah. I guess we keep calling her a newcomer. She's not quite that much of a new. She's been eight or nine years, and plus she's going to keep us younger. But I guess compared to us old salts and other people, she's fairly new. But uh, Brisbane couldn't have anybody uh, better working for him, can they? Uh, we knew she'd be a lot of fun. Uh, we met her a couple of times, loved her, so wanted to have her on, and we appreciate her for doing that. Uh, hats off to Brisbane for hiring such a great gal. You know, there are so many facets to those ultimate past performances that we just there kind is. of – we, we take for granted, like, all right, so off off air, we were talking about sire production index and dam production index. Mm-hmm. That's that's the stats that you see on the, on the pedigree portion of the past performances. SPI, like an SPI for a sire of one, is a horse of, that's produced average runners compared to all the runners that have ever been born for that particular year. So if you see a sire, probably like an end of mischief is going to be a really high, maybe like a three or four possibly or something like that, maybe two and a half, I don't know. And then, you know, you'll see a a sire, a regional sire, like a maybe an Arkansas sire is probably going to be somewhere around 0. 0.7, 0. 0.8. Same way with the dam production index, a DPI of one is a dam that's produced a an average foal. And this is all in terms of earnings. So, you know, a, a dam that's got a two or three DPI has probably produced stakes winners or high earners. And then dams that have a, a DPI below one is probably a below average performer. So and when you're handicapping quickly, that's something that can tip you off in a maiden race or a maiden claimer. Right. Something like that. And saying, you know, the same, the same vein that in a turf race, the Brisnet ultimate pass performances will let you know if a dam has produced a turf winner or not. That's really helpful. If you see Very a dam has produced seven, seven horses, four winners, none of them have raced on turf, and then this horse is trying turf for the first time, that's a, that's a good sign that the horse may not, may not fare well. You know, so gosh, I mean, there's just tons of stuff. I mean, we didn't, we didn't get into class ratings, race ratings, just, just tons of stuff at your fingertips. And usually, you know, if you, if you're a member of Twin Spires, you can bet those for free or yeah, get them that's, for free if you bet the race. Excuse me. That's the biggest thing to me. One click, one click. It's free. It's convenient. It's easy. I'm sure like a lot of people, uh, my age, maybe even younger than me, older than me, uh, spent, uh, when they were younger, tr- going around trying to find a DRF at liquor stores or, or convenience stores, wherever around town, they need to be sold out and blah, blah, blah. Of course, that was, you know, they've got their stuff online, too, now, but uh, it, it just it's just so much easier than it used to be. It's just so much one click, one touch, it's at your fingertips. But, of course, everything's that way these days and stuff. So that's, that's how I got involved into it, and I'm a convert, and, and I'm a believer. Absolutely, yeah. I, we've come a long way. We still don't know what we're doing. <laughs> do you remember, uh, more importantly, and, again, well, i tell you what we ought to do one time is a show about old Churchill Downs. There's a lot of – New faces at Churchill Downs, a lot of new blood at Churchill. They, a lot of people don't remember the old days. We all do a show like that one time about what it's like being in the 70s, the 80s, and 90s out there. The little narrow program, right? The 25-cent oh, pencil. The the programs that didn't have the past performances in them. Yeah, just the numbers. And it was How just in the, the world that people get by? 
I don't know. I don't know how it was just exact betting and it was even exact betting daily double five dollar daily doubles on the first and last two races. Churchill again. There's a lot of newer people at Churchill. Churchill's had such a facelift. They don't remember the cobblestone walkways, uh, the troughs hanging off the walls. Uh, I mean, you know, because they don't use that part of the racetrack anymore except Derby Day and stuff. I mean, I'm telling I'm telling you anything you don't know, right? The, you remember the 25 cent uh, pencils tipping the guy in the bathroom on the way out who was selling you candy? We can go on and on and on. I don't remember that. What? There's a, well, that sounded a little bad. But there was a guy that, there was a guy who hand you a washcloth or whatever and he'd have butterscotches or, I don't know, pencils and you had to tip them. I don't know what you, they used to have that all the time. Now, I remember a guy at Keeneland that this was not that long ago that the guy in Keeneland would hand you a towel and you tip him a quarter. Yeah, it was so kind of like, like that. I get my own towel. Buddy. I know. And Derby Day be a dollar. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, a lot of people don't, a lot, uh, Churchill has changed so much and some people say for the good, some people say for the better. I think it's for the better because I'm an old school guy and I know what it used to be like where it was struggling for a while. It was struggling for a while back in the, the nineties, but I know there's a lot of people out there that uh, remember the old days uh, like we do and stuff. They, they can still paint some of that green shit in the, in the grandstand. But outside of that, I mean, it has, it does look a lot better. I we ought to do that one day. Old school Churchill. I remember at Keeneland, they had a, a parking crew there. But this is back in the 90s. I go all the time. I worked at, at the Stephen Foster story in the parking crew. I mean, we didn't do nothing. We get minimum wage, but nobody ever tipped us. The guy that, and I ran into him a few times, if you didn't tip him, he would call you out. <laughs> I tried to avoid him. I, I would like go, I'd walk a mile out of the way just to avoid pit, having to tip him a dollar. Was he a big guy? Just a dick. Yeah, he's an older guy, but I, I worked in parking too. They don't ever tip me. Yeah. <laughs> I know what you're talking about down there. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I remember, and of course, you know, if, if you really are old school, I remember back, I got 80s and 90s, because again, Churchill's bought up a lot of that property around there. And a lot of people don't remember what it, what it used to look like. You, you go park your car, men would jump on the hood of your car, right? Right. And, and take you down to some driveway to park, some, some alleyway about 10, 50, about, you know, Two or three blocks down the road, and you'd park in there. You went in five hours. You wouldn't have you had an opportunity. He'd just jump on your car and sit in your car until you go down the alleyway or his yard and have you pay five hours a park. Do you remember that? I, I remember going. Now this is probably two thousand two, going to Oaks, and you you leave your car with the key in it with somebody, yeah. and you know they they they'd have you park twelve deep in somebody's yard, and they move it. Hopefully you come back and yeah, the, the key's still there and or the car's still there. I remember doing that. I was like, yeah, we're not gonna do this anymore. No, that that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> no, but that was uh, that was the good old days. But uh, yeah, I remember going. Uh, it was either late eighties or early nineties when they just started to print the past performance material or uh, uh, data in the programs. That was early nineties. Like back in back in the old days, you get a program. Then you get a daily racing form to, to find out what the horses really did because that was the yes. that was the only place you would get your past performances that I was aware of. Was yeah, your daily racing form. Yeah, you know, the program told you nothing other than morning line, the jockey, the trainer, pedigree, and the name of the horse. And then then the past performances started being printed in the uh, it, like maybe early nineties, late eighties, early nineties, something like mm-hmm. that. And that was a big deal. Yeah, you remember the green sheet and the yellow and the finger sheet and all and all that. Yeah. Uh, people bought them. I mean, that's what people. That's what people went. That's what they thought was get some random guy that put that sheet together. and They would go by his picks and would have a little finger beside uh, the six or the nine or whatever and some little comment. And it was garbage. It was garbage. But people swore by. It. They didn't know any better, right? We're so much more sophisticated now, uh, thanks to people like Brisnet. It it was a touch controversial back then when they when they swapped from the little program to the big program because you know you could keep that little program in your back pocket. Bingo. And it was and more of a like, collector's item feel to it too, right? Yeah. The, the big program you had to fold it in half and stick it in your back pocket. So. So back in the day, and again, a lot of people listening to this may not know this, and some people may. You open that program and there'd be uh, the four horse trained by. Uh, oh, Jerry Romans or Leroy Jolly or John Churchman and being ridden by James Bruin or Mickey Salamone or uh, Mike Manganiello. There's some names from the past, right? You remember those? Mary Dozer. Mary Dozer. Uh, we could go on. Brent Bartram. Uh, Charlie Woods, oh. who still works out there. Fabio Arguello Jr. Oh yeah, there you go. He was a, he was the he was the he was the stuff for a little while. He was a hot yeah hot rider for a couple of years. And then the tickets, you'd get the tickets, and they were green or yellow or pink. 
And do you remember that? They looked like little punch tickets. It wasn't like the little fancy white ones you have now. Well, they're, they, yeah, they're just paper. They're just paper tickets as opposed to glossy ones today, you know? Yeah. And the combination window. The combination window was we have a bunch of uh, people today that are constantly preaching you shouldn't bet the place, you shouldn't bet the show. But back in the day, there was a there was a common there was a windows that just had for the combination bet because there wasn't that many exotics back. There was no pick five crap back then. You'd have a combination window, a two dollars win place and show window, right? And nobody that ever. My time. That was before yeah. my time. Even. Oh yeah, that's where you went to bet the because you had specific windows. To bet, you, this window be to win. This window would be about the daily double. There'd be the fifty dollar window where nobody would be at, because everybody thought that was like you know you were Brink's truck. Things have changed since then, and uh, yeah, you had, you had specific windows for specific bets. Uh, again, there wasn't that many bets, right? Uh, the, day, I think a daily double might have been five dollars, and it was just on the first and last races. And uh, again, the exotics options have really grown, uh, to say the least. No doubt about it. I, yeah, I remember the the very first bet I ever had any success on was the late pick three. They had a, a $1 pick three the last three races. That's the only way, I think the only time you could bet a pick three. And I, I, I picked a cold combination and I think it paid like $98. Wow. So, yeah, that was, gosh, that was probably 1988 maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I thought I'd won the lottery. So. Back then, hitting a trifecta was like hitting a pick six today, right? I mean, hitting a trifecta was was a big deal. People didn't bet a lot of trifectas. It was it was win, place, show, exacta, and and the, and the daily double was the marquee wager because it's at the first and the end of the card. But I'm, yeah. I'm showing my age a little bit, aren't I? Yes. Well. And then they they pulled them in carriages, and stagecoaches would come out, and they'd race those. And <laughs> right, right, uh, yeah, this before my time, but. Sorry. Yeah, we need to do an old Churchill show one day. All right. Well, that's all I've got. That's all I got. It's enough. Yeah, I've run out. We've we've gabbed long enough, so we'll we'll put this one to bed. I want to thank Nazrana Dixon. I want to thank Brandon Jaggers for not being here. <laughs> so on behalf of Alan Schneider, I'm CC Broadus reminding you that gambling money ain't got no home.